Good morning. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The word of the Lord. Do you ever struggle with hope? We all long for many things, but if you're over the age of, I don't know, like one year old, then you know that life is a series of constant disappointments. We're always longing, and we're always being let down, which makes it really difficult to keep putting yourself out there, to keep allowing yourself to, to hope and long for all these things, especially when you know that there's a really good chance you're just going to end up getting let down again. We all struggle with hope. So, for instance, in China, many young people today have a word that they use to describe their approach or viewpoint of life. It's the, uh, the Chinese word is sung, and it literally means funeral, but it's a word that um, describes the despondency and the hopelessness that many young people in China feel. For many young people today in China, it's um, increasingly difficult to get a good-paying job, to ever hope of buying a house, to ever hope of getting married, to ever hope of being able to retire. On top of that, there's all this incredible social pressure to be really successful at all of those things. Oh, and by the way, you're also expected to take care of your parents when they get old. And so for many young people in China, they've, um, there's this whole culture called Sung culture that has arisen around this viewpoint of life. It's got its own internet characters and TV characters and mobile games, even um, tea shops where you can go and buy different kinds of tea with names like achieved absolutely nothing black tea <laughs> or can't afford to buy a house iced tea or my ex's life is better than mine fruit tea things like that but it's not just china 
All over the world, rates of anxiety, depression, loneliness, addiction, and suicide are skyrocketing. We all long for things like love, meaning, and purpose, for security and happiness, for justice and peace. We long for those things, and yet we're constantly being let down, which means it's really hard to keep longing, to keep hoping. And as a result, for many of us, it's easier to maybe our heart Our hearts get hard. We become bitter and cynical. Or maybe for most of us, it's easier to just medicate ourselves through things like social media, video games, binging Netflix, pornography, sex, alcohol, work, exercise, whatever it might be. But we want to believe in things like love, meaning, justice, goodness, beauty, and truth. But you've hoped for those things before, and you've been burned before. So what do we do with all of that? In this season of Advent, we're looking at various experiences and visions that people have had of Jesus right around the time that he was born. This morning's passage speaks to everything we've just been talking about and says, you're not a fool to believe in those things. They do exist, and it's right that you should long for them, but you'll never be able to get there all by yourself. You need help. What does that mean? And what is this help that we need? Let's explore that by looking at this passage and seeing three things this morning. We're going to look at the persistence of our longings, the limits of our wisdom, and the fulfillment of our quest. um, Okay, first, the persistence of our longings. Uh, This is a famous story. Wise men see a star in the east, and they come looking for Jesus. Now, to our ears, this sounds maybe a little mythical, but there's good historical evidence that this could actually have happened. First, there were a number of large-scale astronomical events that happened right around this time in history, things like supernovas and planetary conjunctions. Second, um, there were ancient historians at the time, Suetonius and Tacitus and people like that, who recorded that there were widespread rumors going around that there was a king that was supposed to be born in Judea. And lastly, um, These wise men are into astrology, looking for meaning in the stars, which was viewed very negatively by both Jews and Christians at the time. It's kind of like, you remember when the Harry Potter books came out? A lot of Christians denounced those books because they had magic in them. It was very similar in the ancient world. That means it would have been risky for Matthew, the gospel writer, to give these wise men such a positive role in this story unless it really happened. So this story is not as far-fetched as it sounds, but what's the story about? Who are these wise men? The Greek word is magi. Um, As I mentioned, they're into astrology. They're also into things like um, magic and the interpretation of dreams. And we would look at that and say, well, that's not real science. But you have to understand, in that culture, these wise men were the most highly educated, most highly respected intellectuals of their day. The nearest modern equivalent would be the scientists, academics, and thought leaders of our day. The wise men were the intellectual elites of their day. But what were they looking for? It wasn't just any old star. Notice it says we saw his star. There were all these rumors and prophecies swirling around at the time that one day there was a great king to be born who would be unlike any other king the world had ever seen. He was going to bring a justice the world had never seen. He was going to bring a peace 
the world had never seen. He was going to bring a healing and a renewal to all of creation the world had never seen. In other words, these wise men were longing for something in this world they had never actually experienced in this world. And so do we. We long for a love, justice, peace, healing, and renewal that we've never experienced in this world. We long for another world. And, and, and we've been longing for this for as long as people have been recording history. We all long for another world. And yet, that's kind of weird when you think about it. I mean, why would we long for something we've never experienced in this world? And as far as we know, doesn't even exist unless it does exist. One of my favorite illustrations of this is from the movie WALL-E. It's about a lonely little robot who lives all by himself in a future earth that was abandoned because mass consumerism has left the world covered in garbage. And every day, Wally's job is to go out and crush trash into little cubes until the earth is clean again. But one night, he goes home to his trailer, which is full of treasures he's found in the trash, and he pops in a video cassette of the movie Hello, Dolly. The movie's playing in the background while he goes around tidying up his trailer, but all of a sudden his attention is caught by a scene in the movie of a man and a woman gazing into each other's eyes, singing a love song. Wally stands there transfixed as they take hold of each other's hand and walk off into the evening singing, it only takes a moment to be loved a whole life long. And there's Wally with his sad little robot eyes, and his lonely little robot hands just clutching each other as if he too were holding the hand of his beloved. And he's not even aware that he's doing it until he looks down at his hands as if to say, what's happening to me? I find in myself a longing for something I've never experienced in this world, and yet I feel like I was made for it. Have you ever experienced something like that? Of course you have. What does that mean? Listen, we all long for things like love, justice, peace, healing, and renewal. We have a longing for these things that goes beyond our experience of this world. We long for another world. Maybe that world doesn't exist, but I think that C.S. Lewis was much closer to the truth when he wrote this. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim? Well, there's such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire. There's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Friends, here's the point. We all long for a love, justice, peace, healing, and renewal that goes beyond anything we've ever experienced in this world. We long for another world. Now, the existence of those longings does not prove that that world exists, but the persistence of our longings is a powerful pointer to the possibility that it really does, not just for you and me as individuals, but throughout history, throughout all of recorded history, for all of humanity, that these longings exist because the world we're made for exists. So here's the takeaway. Maybe some of you are dabbling with spirituality. Maybe you've been doing that for years. Maybe there's something about Jesus that attracts you. Or maybe you feel like there's something missing from your life, even though you're not sure exactly what it is. 
But there's a star in your life. There's a longing, a desire, and it persists. Go after it now. A lot of you feel like maybe one day I'm going to get around to exploring faith in Jesus, but you never do. You feel like, well, there'll be time for that later. But for now, I'm content to just live my life the way I've been living it. Friends, there is no guarantee that someday will ever come. Go after it now. Look at these wise men in this story. Many scholars believe that they would have come from Persia, which is modern-day Iraq. That's a journey to Jerusalem of about 800 miles. It would have taken at least 40 days. It would have been incredibly difficult, dangerous, expensive. Can you imagine the sore butts sitting on those camels? Can you imagine the bad accommodations, the bad food, the indigestion, the stinky camels? This is no mere passing fancy for these guys. They went out of their way at great expense to themselves to find the fulfillment of their longings. I would encourage you to do the same thing. But here's the thing. Desire all by itself is not enough to get us where we want to go. And that leads to our next point. We've just seen the persistence of our longings, but secondly, this passage shows us the limits of our wisdom. Um, Remember, these wise men were the intellectual leaders of their day. They represented the pinnacle of worldly wisdom at that time, and they had this core longing for a world beyond this world, and they went on a long journey to find the satisfaction of that longing. Now, here's the the question. Notice that these wise men were able to get a really long way in the pursuit of their longing. All of their wisdom is able to get them really close. They end up in Jerusalem, and then they start um, asking around. They say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he? You notice that their worldly wisdom has been able to get them really close, but notice that That in order to get all the way there, in order to find what they're really looking for, the only way they can do that is they have to listen to Scripture. They're in Jerusalem, and they're asking people, where is he? Where's the king? And the people say, oh, Scripture tells us. Scripture says, in Bethlehem of Judea, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Do you see? All of their science, learning, and wisdom can get them really close. It can get them in the vicinity. But in order to find what they're really looking for, they have to listen to God's Word. They have to listen to Scripture. This is one of the main messages of this whole passage. Friends, we all are longing for a love, justice, um, and peace, and healing, and renewal that we've never experienced in this world. We're longing for another world, but even the pinnacle of our science and learning and wisdom is utterly insufficient to get us where we want to go. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, For instance, one of our core longings as human beings is for meaning. We all want to know that we're part of a larger story that's going somewhere, but where do you find meaning? I often quote Richard Dawkins. One of the reasons is because his arguments are just so good. But Richard Dawkins is a world-famous scientist. He's especially well-known for writing books about atheism and how belief in God is a harmful delusion. What does Richard Dawkins say about where you find meaning? Well, in one of his books, he says this. He writes that um, the universe that we observe scientifically, has no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. In another book, he goes on to say that life in this world is empty, pointless, futile, a desert of meaninglessness and insignificance. 
And yet, Richard Dawkins says that human beings can't live without meaning, so he goes on to say this, that the truly adult view is that, all, is that our life is as meaningful, as full and wonderful as we choose to make it. Now listen, and I hope I'm being as faithful as I can to Richard Dawkins' thought process here, but he's saying, number one, there is no such thing as ultimate meaning. Number two, human beings can't live without meaning. So number three, we have to create that meaning for ourselves. So here's the question. Why in the world would we feel the need to create something for ourselves that doesn't exist? Unless it does exist. But if it does then one of the world's foremost scientists is telling us that we will never find that meaning by science. Worldly wisdom isn't enough to get us there. Let me give you another example. Another one of the supreme values in our society is for diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI for short. In our culture, we say that, that every human being has equal dignity and value, but why? A few months ago, I was talking about a, an interview that Bill Maher did with Ross Douthat. Ross Douthat is a Catholic and opinion um, columnist for the New York Times. Bill Maher, who's very critical of religion, he asked Ross Douthat the question, Hey, Ross, you're an intelligent guy. How can you believe in a talking snake? And Ross Douthat says, Well, you're asking how an otherwise intelligent person could believe in something metaphysical. He says, What is the idea of universal human rights? if not a metaphysical principle. Can you find universal human rights under a microscope? Is it in the laws of physics? Which is a good question. Um, what I didn't mention a few months ago is Bill Maher's response. He says, well, I would say that it's in the laws of common sense, which got a big applause from the audience. But can we ask the question, common sense to whom? You know, thousands of years ago, there was a great philosopher named Aristotle. Maybe you've heard of him. He was one of the smartest people who ever lived, a lot smarter than you or me. But to Aristotle, it was common sense that some human beings, like men and slave masters, are inherently superior to other human beings, like women and slaves. That's just common sense to Aristotle and the whole ancient world. So here's the question, what happened Historically, what happened to get us from the common sense of Aristotle thousands of years ago to our modern common sense of dignity, equity, inclusion? How did we get here? Well, look at our story. Remember these wise men? They're magicians and astrologers. In the ancient world, religious people would have looked down on them. Ooh, these woo-woo, hippy-dippy, new-age astrologer guys. Stay away from them. And on top of that, they're religious and ethnic, uh, I mean, not religious, but racial and ethnic outsiders. They're Gentiles, again, excluded in the ancient world. And yet here in the Bible, uh, the, one of the main things that's happening in this story is that these wise men are, are being invited and welcomed as guests of honor at Jesus' birthday party. You know, one of the most common themes in the Bible is all about the inclusion of people the rest of the world would exclude. It's one of the most common themes in the whole Bible. So unlike the rest of the ancient world, the God of the Bible is a God that says every human being has equal dignity. All ethnicities are welcome, and every nation in the world is so important to God that the main storyline of the whole Bible is all about this God's mission to save those nations and to welcome them into his kingdom. So if you read any good historian, you'll notice they're constantly pointing out how 
you know, all the stuff that's common sense to us, all our modern Western secular values like diversity, equity, and inclusion, that it's common sense to us because it comes to us from Christianity. Or if you read philosophers like Friedrich Nietzsche, one of the greatest philosophers who ever lived, he was an atheist. He hated Christianity. And yet he was constantly calling out all his fellow atheist philosophers and saying, look, you've abandoned Christianity, but you're still hanging on to Christian morality like uh, dignity, equity, and inclusion. He says, you've abandoned Christianity, but you're hanging on to Christian morality. You're still drinking the Christian Kool-Aid. So, you know, many atheists would look at religious people who believe in God and say, grow up and put away your fairy tales. But Nietzsche would look at atheists who believe in human rights and say, grow up and put away your fairy tales. Friends, worldly wisdom is insufficient to get us to all the things we desire and long for most deeply. It can never get us to the world beyond the world that we long for. So look, we all long for a love, justice, peace, healing, and renewal that we've never experienced in this world. We long for a world beyond this world. One of the main things this passage is showing us is that that world exists, but one of the other main things this passage is showing us is that we will never get there through worldly wisdom alone. And that leads to our last point. We've seen the persistence of our longings. We've just looked at the limits of our wisdom. But lastly, we need to see the fulfillment of our quest. How did these wise men, how does the story end? What happens when they find Jesus? I love this part of the story. Remember, they're following the star. The star is a signpost. It's not the destination. If you're exploring faith, then there are things that you're looking for. There are longings. You're, you're looking for satisfaction for these longings. But there's a star. Whatever that thing is, there's a star in your life stirring up these longings in your heart. Maybe you really love music. And there, um, sometimes um, it happens that when you're listening to certain parts of certain songs, that it's almost like a voice from another world calling out to you, come, find me. Or maybe it's certain experiences with nature or certain stories that you love to read. Or maybe it's um, you're passionate about things like science or justice or social work. But whatever it is, something, some inexpressible longing is coming to you through these things, something nudging you, tugging at you, whispering to you about a world beyond this world. But whatever it is, it's a star, it's a longing, it's a desire, and you're seeking it, you're pursuing it. What happens when these wise men um, find Jesus? Notice they're following the star, following the star, but when they finally get to the house where the star leads them, they take their eyes off of the star and they put their eyes on Jesus. And it says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It says going into the house, they fell down and worshiped him. Friends, you know what one of the main messages of this passage is? It's just this. It's that every star followed far enough leads to Jesus. Every star, every longing, every desire, every, every, everything we're longing for most deeply, if you follow it long enough, far enough, hard enough, and seriously enough, if you lead it, if you follow it to where it's really pointing you, it leads you to Jesus. Every star followed far enough leads to Jesus. So if you notice in this passage that King Herod, what does he tell the wise men? He says, go and search diligently for the child. Now, Herod wanted to kill Jesus, but even when he said this, he was speaking better than he knew. 
Friends, if you really want to find fulfillment for the deepest longings of your heart, go and make a diligent search for the child. He is the one you're longing for. He is the fulfillment of every story. He is the longing underneath every other longing. He is the desire behind every other desire. He is the deeper reality to which all the other stories point. You know, we just finished a sermon series in the book of Numbers, which is all about the wilderness wanderings of Israel. And during their wanderings, there was a prophecy that arose about a great king that was going to be born. It's the foundation of the prophecy that these wise men were seeking. So in Numbers 24, it says this, A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter, that is, a king, shall rise out of Israel. This is talking about Jesus, because Jesus is the true star that came. He is the true king that arose. Jesus is the fulfillment of every story. He is the deeper reality to which all the other stories are pointing. And all the longings of our heart, followed far enough, followed seriously enough, are ultimately leading us to Jesus. He is the king we're looking for. You know, the wise men journeyed 800 miles to make a diligent search for the child, but Jesus journeyed from heaven itself to make a diligent search for you. And his journey didn't just lead him to a a humble little manger. That was just the first stop. His journey led him all the way to the cross, which is the place where you find the ultimate fulfillment of all of our deepest longings. Because Jesus, he is the true king that we're all looking for. He is the true mighty one who gave up a crown of glory for a crown of thorns. Jesus is the true justice that we're all longing for, the truly innocent one who endured the greatest injustice the world has ever seen, the torture, humiliation, and and public um, shame of the cross that he endured for us, rebels, so that we could find the mercy that we would only dream of. And Jesus is the true healing and renewal that we're really looking for, the author of creation who was torn apart on the cross, So that all of our shattered hopes, all of our broken dreams and forsaken desires that have been crushed by the hard realities of life in this pitiless world, so that all of the trauma and heartache of your lives could be mended and woven back together into a larger story, a deeper story that tells us about a joy beyond the walls of this world, a story that that mends us and brings us back into a life that we're longing for, a story that restores all the old hurts, heals all the old pains, and reunites you with the God who is the end and fulfillment of all the deepest longings of your heart. So here's what this means for us, friends. One of the main things this means is this. You know, in our culture, it's really easy to see Jesus as just one of many mythical, equally valid stories that point us to a deeper reality. But this passage is showing us that Jesus is the deeper reality to which all the other stories point. He is the deeper reality. So here's what this means. Again, if you're exploring faith, I would encourage you, make a diligent search for the child. You know, many of you, again, you're exploring faith, you're spiritually curious, but I want to encourage you that the only way you will find fulfillment for your ultimate longings is if at some point you you stop looking at the star and you go into the house, and you worship Jesus. You may ask yourself, what does that look like? How do I do that? We're going to start a whole sermon series in January 
on the question, who is Jesus? One of the main reasons this church exists is to help you find Jesus. So I would invite you, please come back, and we want to help you on this journey of finding the child and going into the house and worshiping him. But if you are a Christian, here's what this means for us. One of the things it means for us, one of the main things this passage is showing us is the importance of learning to make as wide a welcome as possible for people who are spiritually curious. You know, contrary to what all the thought leaders used to say, that this world is getting less religious, contrary to that, one of the big realities of our modern world is that there's been a virtual supernova of thousands of different spiritual options and spiritual paths that are available to people in our modern world. Things like Wicca or magic or astrology or different combinations of Eastern spirituality or mystical spirituality. One of the main things this passage is showing us is that Jesus welcomes all of those people to his party. And if we're his followers, then we should too. That means instead of like circling our wagons and getting really anxious and nervous and suspicious and hostile towards people that don't share our faith, instead we should be really, really curious about such people. We should be asking them, tell me more about what you believe. We should be inviting them into dialogue with us. It doesn't mean that there aren't truths that we believe about Jesus. Of course we do. It does mean that the truth we believe about Jesus should make us more like Jesus welcoming to people who are spiritually curious. But for all of us, one of the main things that shows all of us is this, that when you do find the king, when you do come into the house and fall down and worship him, you can never go back the way you came. Notice at the end of the story, it says that the wise men departed to their own country by another way. Christianity sets you on another way. They gave their gifts to Jesus. They gave their lives to Jesus. That means you'll never be the same. Everything you are, everything you have belongs to him. You'll never be the same again. That means you can never live in this world the way you used to live. You're always going to be a little out of place in this world. But you know what happens if you do that? Jesus will turn you into a star, pointing other people to Jesus It means the more your life shines with the light of Jesus, the more your life should attract other people to the source of that light who is Jesus. Friends, every star followed far enough leads to Jesus. Seek the one who came seeking you. Make a diligent search for him. Make make a wide welcome for others and let him set you on another way. Jesus is the the fulfillment of all our deepest longings. He is the story behind every story, the story to which all the other stories point, and he is the longing of which all of our other longings are mere whispers. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord Jesus, Lord Holy Spirit, Holy Triune God, we praise you this morning that you journeyed from heaven itself to come seek us, to make a diligent search for us. Lord, you created us with a longing for yourself, with a longing for your kingdom, your world, your goodness, your beauty, your truth. You created us with these longings. And Father, we're in this world and we can never erase those longings. They are persistent and abiding in our hearts and our lives. I pray this morning that for all of us, you would help us to follow those longings where they truly lead us to Jesus himself. That doesn't mean we disdain or renounce those wonderful things in this world. That means that we set our heart on the true longing, Jesus 
Jesus Christ so that we can better love all the things of this world as you have called us to love and care for them. But we pray this morning that you would help us to make a diligent search for Jesus, that you would help us to make a wide welcome for others, and that you would set us on another way, giving all of our gifts and all of our lives to King Jesus. For we pray all of these things in his name. Amen.